have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading out of Judges, chapter 6. Judges. Judges, chapter 6. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. I'll be right back. I got to get a Bible for my bride. You alone are my strength, my shield. You alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. There you are, my queen. That was the first Bible. That was given to me by her sister and brother-in-law at that time, John and Michelle. It's pretty torn up. I'm missing a bunch of it. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. This morning I was coming down to prepare for my sermon. I was praying and I was reading the word and I was asking God to help me. With what you want me to share with your people. And I opened up my Bible. And there it was. Gideon. Gideon in Judges 6. And I got reading it. And I started reading through all of it. And pretty soon I was like. Oh my Lord it's 1030. I got a half hour to put my message together. And the Lord's like. No just preach what you read. Because it was speaking to my heart, and the Lord was speaking to my heart about how powerful the Bible is, for one. And when you read things in the Bible, how applicable it is for today. That is what is amazing. My wife and I, we talked about this last, I think it was last week or early this week, about when you get into the Bible and you start reading it. Even though it was written thousands and thousands of years ago, it's still so true for our generation today in the year 2019. Everything in the Bible is so applicable. That's why they call the Bible the living word, because it is alive. And they wrote this, they wrote the Bible 2,000 years ago. And you would think, well, if it's 2,000 years old, then it wouldn't be important for today's day and age, right? Right? You would think, well, that was only 2,000 years ago. It doesn't make sense to that it would apply for today. But that's one thing about the Bible that's a living word, and it applies for right now, for today's day and age. And that's what's, you know, that's when I was reading this, I was like, well, this applies for today. Even though this was thousands of years ago, this was even before Jesus was born. You know, this was well before Jesus was born. This story about Gideon. Let me read it. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive that the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountains, clefts, caves and strongholds, when the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. And I got to thinking when I was reading that, I was like, that's applicable for today. In America. And it's oppressive Because of our government, it was oppressive. As soon as we start working hard and you start making a little bit of money, well, who takes more of it? The more you make, the more they take. Right? And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you know, this, I hate to say it, but the state we live in is a beautiful state. New York State is really beautiful. There's a lot of great things about New York State. But the government of New York State needs to be changed. It is terrible. I wanted to say something else, but I stopped myself. It is terrible. The more you make, the more they take. 
And every year they want to add more to that. It is no different of an oppression than what they were under then. They would work hard and build these crops and then these other countries would come in and they would steal them and they would take from them. And I thought to myself, that's exactly the more we're making, the harder we're working. It's like the more they're taking. Something's got to change. So the Midianites and all the rest of the Midianites, Amalekites, and the eastern people invaded the country. They camped in the land and they ruined the crops, it says. All the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing from Israel. In other words, they went in there. Not only did they take the crops they worked for, they destroyed their sheep, their cattle, their, their donkeys, everything. They just killed it. They destroyed it. And they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, it says. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land and they ravaged it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. There's the key. Right there. In our need, we need to cry out for God. In our despair, we need to cry out for God for help. Amen? Amen. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of the Midians, he sent a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt. And from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from you before you gave them their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. And I think of today. I think of America. I think of We, America, was formed on religious freedom. They fleed in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. It was also the expulsion of the Jews out of of Europe. And that is what they say that caused them to come to America to find a new land that they can worship God. Their hearts cried out to God, and God sent them to America, a new land, where they can worship freely their Lord and God. But what's happened to America? We have taken on foreign gods, and we have worshipped foreign gods, believe it or not. We have worshipped prosperity. And many things, many are the worship of money, And look at the rich young ruler, the story, what Jesus says. You know, he tells them he was a righteous man. He's obeyed all the commandments. And Jesus told him to sell everything you got and come and give it to the poor and follow me. And he went away, it says, downtrodden or saddened in his heart. Because he knew that his heart was all in to everything that he had. And it was hard. I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. What gods are we worshiping? And why are we not listening to God? The angel of the Lord came down. And he sat down under the oak in Ophrah. It's so funny because I've been hunting and I've been, I got a tree stand up there and I got an oak tree over by it. And it made me think of that as I'm sitting underneath my oak tree. And literally, acorns, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago, were falling from the trees like raindrops falling from the skies. And they're all over the place right now. The woods are loaded with acorns. And I literally got hit twice. Sitting in my tree by acorn on the head. It's pretty funny. 
Maybe God was trying to say, knocking the sense out of me or something. Knocking sense into me. Let's put it that way. But here the angel came down and he sat underneath the oak tree in Ophrah. That belonged to Joash the Abizite. I didn't know that we can own tree. I mean, I know, I didn't know that we can actually own a tree, but that tree actually belonged to a person, which was interesting. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Joe, I have a request, and I don't know if you can do it. Can you look up a wine press and a threshing floor and put an image of a wine press on the screen? I just thought of this, Joe. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. And I got to thinking, why was he threshing wheat in a wine press? And I got to looking up, well, what does a wine press look like? And what does a threshing floor look like in the old days? And I don't know if Joe can get to this. We're going to try to do it. But here is Gideon, the son of Joash. Joash. Inside this wine press, and he's threshing wheat. And I'm like, a wine press isn't made to thresh wheat, is it? It's a wine press. It's made to press wine. How you coming, Joe? <laughs> Yeah, no pressure, Joe. None at all. I'll read a little bit. So here's Gideon. So picture it in your mind. Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. Well, when we get the picture, you would think, how can he be a mighty warrior? When you look at a picture of the wine press, it's got high sides. He's actually inside this wine press, hiding. Threshing wheat. He's afraid that the Midianites are going to come and, and kill him, probably, and take the wheat that he's threshed. But he's in this wine press, and he's hiding. And I, can, I bet you, because of the walls of the wine press, you need wind to help thresh your wheat. Because when you throw it up in the air, the wind is supposed to take it. So Gideon must have been working really hard, right? Because when you throw the, throw the wheat up in the air, what happens is the seed is heavy. So the seed falls to the ground and the wind blows this chaff away. Right? So it separates it. So you, so you kind of smack, you kind of beat it all down, and then you got to thresh it all up, throw it up in the air, and you watch. If you've ever, if you ever seeded your lawn or ever put down straw, and you pray that the wind would blow just right, because then you can just take the straw and you throw it up in the air and you let the straw fall down kind of feathers itself down like a feather on your grass seed. And you do it just right. You get good at it, and you throw it up there, and you can get that straw to go about from me to your grandmother away by the wind. And you don't have to walk all over your seeded bed for your lawn. That's the same thing. That's what happened. And chaff is like that straw. It blows easily with the wind. But the seed is heavy. It drops. But the angel says to Gideon, You mighty warrior. And I thought, mighty warrior. How would, why would he be called a mighty warrior when he was hiding? Right? And then the angel goes on and he says, But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said 
when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midianites. Where are all the wonders? And I, when I read that, I thought, boy, that is just like us again today. Where are all the wonders that, that we've been told about? Where is God? Everybody's looking for a wonder, right? Everybody's looking for God to come down. And some of us now, we don't even know what the wonders are because we have not been taught what those wonders are by our fathers and mothers and by their fathers and mothers didn't teach them. And pretty soon I was telling Julie about this, you lose a whole generation that doesn't know anything about the Bible. They don't know what these signs and wonders are. Because they were never told what the signs and wonders are, so they never were passed down. It's actually because of a lack of knowledge is what Gideon's problems is. One of Gideon's problems lay in his lack of knowledge of God's word. His lack of knowledge of God's word. And then he goes on and he says, The Lord the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. I am not sending you hand am. You know, let me write, read that again because there's a period there and I want you to get it right. I, I want to get it right. But the Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? Like, I missed a sentence. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? There's a period there after hand. And I thought to myself, oh, there's a, there's a sentence for me. Go, go in Israel and save them in your own strength. And I thought, well, praise God, somebody who's got some strength. I can relate to that. I can do something with my own strength. And then he says, am I not sending you? And then he says to the angel of the Lord, he says, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. The Lord answered Gideon and he said, I will be with you and will strike down all the Midianites together. I will be with you and I will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that, that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. Give me a sign. Gideon replied, if now I have favor in your eyes, give me a sign. And the Lord said, I will wait here until you return. Gideon went in and he prepared a young goat from the ephah of flour he made, bread with yeast, bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that he was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat, and the unleavened bread, fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. 
you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace to that day. It stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from the father's herd, the one that is seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of the height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as the burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and of the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in daytime. He did it at night rather than in daytime. You know, the problem that Gideon had was his lack of knowledge of God's word. He didn't know all of God's word. He knew some, but not all of it. And you know, his family has erected an Asherah pole and a, a, a place for them to worship Baal, both of them. In two places, because of a lack of knowledge of God's word. And God said to them, because you have taken on other idols. Because you did not listen to me, but you have, it says you have not listened. I am the Lord your God, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But they didn't listen. They took on those gods of the Amorites, of the Canaanites. And they erected them. Because of a lack of knowledge of God's word. Do you know what the Asher, I looked up Asher pole. The Asher pole stood near Canaanite religious locations. And was in honor of the Ugaric mother goddess Asherah. And Baal was among the Canaanites also, who apparently considered him a fertility god, and was one of the most important gods in that um, group of people of the Canaanites, of the Amalekites, of the Medianites, all of the mites. He was also called Lord of the Rain and of Dew. Of rain and dew was Baal. Alright, look at This right here is a picture of a wine press in ancient times. Look at the high walls. Oh. Look at the high walls built here. So here's Gideon inside this wine press, right? With his threshing fork trying to thresh out wheat. It's not meant. See? Now, if we got a picture of a threshing floor, Joe, are you still working on that one? Well, anyways, a threshing floor, right, is a big open space area, like a big, nice flat rock that they've flattened right out, where they got this big wheel that goes around and it goes over top of all the grain. See the threshing floor here? Now, like a wine press. Right? It's short, so the wind can come in and thresh and separate the wheat. And then they can sweep all the grains in the middle of it, gather it all up. And then they take and they burn the shaft. And sometimes they have a big rock, a round rock that they find, that they roll over to help break it up and to help separate it. Mighty war hiding. It's pretty funny. So I wanted to make sure to go over that with you, so that you can see that and picture that in your mind. So here, back at Gideon's house, right, on the high place where his parents lived, where he lived, 
they had these two other idols that they would worship. And Gideon, being the mighty warrior he is, <laughs> tears them all down and demolishes them at night because he's afraid. He's afraid of his. He's afraid of his dad. I'm sure of his family because I'm sure they all went to worship Baal and Asherah along with God. And not only did they, his family, do it, and that's what he was taught, but also the people of the town and the men of the town would go up there. And he would do it. And now God, who he had a lack of knowledge, told him, go up there and destroy it. Destroy his family's idols, who the men of the town worshipped also. Like Gideon, I think most of us today have an inaccurate perception of who God is. We have an inaccurate perception of who God is. And we are watching this Francis Chan as we think of God as this old, this God who loves me, who will never hurt me, who never do anything Against me. We don't think of him as the God who sits on the judgment seat. Who's going to someday judge us all. We don't like to think of God as being the judge. We like to think of God as being the loving, kind, graceful God. And he is. But he's also a just judge God. And one day all of us are going to stand before God in the white throne room and be judged by him. And even Gideon's lack of faith, his hesitancy to serve, is the same for us today as it was then. Gideon wasn't sure who he was talking to when he was talking to the angel of the Lord. He didn't know for sure. So he went, and he had to go make a sacrifice and come back, and he had to see it with his own eyes to believe it when the angel of the Lord consumed his offering. We, like Gideon, still awful still offer objects well objections <laughs> we like Gideon still offer objections when God calls us to do something many times like Gideon we need rock solid answers we need to know that we know that we know that this is God so we can have an assurance of success. I don't know how often we doubt God when we have clear signals in our lives that tell us this is what God wants us to do. But we doubt it because we're unsure. We don't know. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of trying. And we come up with every excuse in the book. And we find yet another reason that holds us back. Or we doubt what God is saying. Oh, that can't be God telling us to go do that. That's got to be my flesh. I must have heard that incorrectly when God said to me, I want you reading your word every day. No, maybe he meant like, Every other day, or maybe once a week. Or like what my wife is telling me, I think God wants us to have communion every week. And I think to myself, no, I don't think she's hearing from God. But why would the devil tell her to have communion once a week? He wouldn't, because there's power in communion, right? So it's in my own flesh. 
And my own thinking that, oh, we could just have, if we just have communion once a month, that's better than what we've been doing. <laughs> right? Once a day, I think that might be a little overboard. Or once a week. She wants it once a day. <laughs> in our house. And every time we sit down at the table, we are partaking in communion with God in some form. But we go through all these excuses and we think of all these things in our own minds. Well, that can't be God telling us to do that. Or I must have heard that incorrectly. But wait a minute. Let me test God again. And what does the Bible say we can only test God in? Is our tithes and offering. But let me check and make sure that this is God. Let me ask Him for another sign. Let me ask Him for another sign. Before I actually trust that it's God speaking. Like Gideon. Lord. Oh Lord. If this is really you. I pray that there would be dew that fell on the fleece. At the threshing floor. And not on the ground all around. So what happened that night. The dew fell on just the fleece. And when they rang out the fleece. They rang out a whole bucket worth of dew, it said, that was on the fleece. And the ground was dry. Oh, but that wasn't a good enough sign for Gideon. Gideon had to say, well, Lord, Lord, now let me put the three fleece on the threshing floor again. And this time, let the fleece be dry and let the whole ground be covered with dew. So again, what did God do? The fleece was dry and the whole ground was covered with the dew. And God is saying, how many signs do you need? (laughs) Ask yourself, how many signs do you need before you trust God? What in the world are you waiting for? The next sign that God has to do before you really step out and and actually serve him. You know, it's difficult to almost impossible to have faith in something you hardly know. How can you have faith in a Bible, right? How can you have faith in your Bible, in the Word of God, if you don't know it? How can Gideon really have faith in God? When he was worshiping at an astral pole, and he was worshiping at a Baal temple or altar. How can he fully have it when his heart is fully divided? You can't serve two masters. Jesus said it. You can't serve mammon and God, or money and God. They made it clear about money. And I guarantee you, a lot of us, Really like to have a lot of money. (laughs) I'm telling you, I know it's true. We measure our success by how big our bank accounts are. We measure our success on how much money we have. And that's really not success because when we go to heaven and die, when we go face God on the great judgment seat, are we going to be able to take all that money with us? No, it's in the bank, back on earth, doing no good. The only good it would do is if you gave it all away to the poor, and you gave it away with a, with a heart for God, and, when, and you're giving. Not in like, oh, God told me to give this money away, I don't really want to give this money away, I want to keep it to myself, but here it is. Just take it. I don't want it. God said I can't have it. I really want it. I want to keep it and hold on to every little penny. But God says, I got to give it away. I don't want to give it away. No. You give under a cheerful heart is what we've all been taught. You give with a cheerful heart. You're giving because you know you're giving into eternity. Because it's not going to matter much here on earth, but it's going to matter and have weight there in heaven when you give it away with a cheerful heart. 
Amen? And here's, here's Gideon. He's like, I don't really know God, so i got to throw out all these tests to make sure that this is the God who says he's the God of gods. And i got to make sure, because he's asking me to do something I'm not sure about because I'm really a chicken little. I'm hiding in a wine press threshing wheat. And I'm afraid. And he's telling me to go out in my own strength and fight this Midian force, the Amalekite force. I mean, come on, it's crazy. Lord, I can't even count all the camels they have. And the men are like sands of the sea. That's what they said. They couldn't count all of the, the, they couldn't count the camels that the fighting men had. You couldn't count the number of them. That's a lot. They'd come in like an invading force and they'd take the land and everybody was afraid of them. But it's difficult to almost impossible to have faith in something that you hardly know about. If you don't know about God's word, if you don't know about God's promises, if you don't have that hidden in your heart, then you're not going to be able to walk out in faith and believe it. You're not going to be able to live it. Right? You're not going to be able to trust it. Just like Gideon, our own ignorance and our own misconceptions about the Lord has a lot to do with our own inability to trust Him and to know Him. It's no different today as it was for Gideon. It's our own inability It's our own stubbornness. It's our own lack of the word in our hearts that holds us back from really trusting him. Because if we really knew who God was and we really had that in our heart who God was and were solid on it, then we wouldn't care what anything was going around. We would walk out and we would be doing things all the time, trusting and believing. Amen? True. If only I wrote down here because I got to thinking as I was writing this, and I'm thinking of, I got to thinking about who in the Bible, in my mind, who in the Bible didn't doubt God's word when they said, do this? Who in the Bible didn't put God to the test, right? And I immediately thought of the Blessed Mother Mary. You know, if only our answers could be like Mary. You know how old Mary was? And it goes back to what my wife was saying about a little child today with Ephraim being up here. Mary was a child. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, she was 14 to 16 years old. 14 to 16 years old. Stella, how are you? How old are you? 14 years old. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, she was a child. She was 14 to 16 years old. She was a child. Yeah, mom said she didn't have to go to college. She didn't have a degree. She wasn't, she was an innocent young girl. In that day, she was old enough to be wed. But she was young, an innocent young child. And her answer to the angel Gabriel, who comes down before her, is that I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Can you imagine if we said, said that? Tongue tied there. Can you imagine if we said that every time that we thought the Lord was telling us to do something and we actually did it and we said to ourselves, and I was trying to picture this, where would I be in my life if I actually said this every time I thought the Lord was speaking to me? If I said, I am the Lord's servant, do with me as you will. Think about that. 
How many times have you thought you heard the Lord speaking to you about somebody or something else or about doing something and you didn't act on it? You didn't do it. How many times? I know I've done it. I've walked past people where I thought the Lord's like, well, maybe you should help them or talk to them. Maybe I've walked away from customers before in our business, and I thought, well, I don't want to mix religion with business. I don't want to, you know, impose my faith on them because I feel like I go through all these answers like I just said earlier. I got another excuse or another reason why I don't want to share about God with them because I don't want to impose I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable when God is saying, maybe you should pray for that person. And I have done it before. And, I've, you know, I've done both. But many times I've walked away from a situation and I haven't prayed. Or I haven't because I really don't know who they are. I don't know where they stand with God. And I have all these excuses that keep me from actually sharing. When God says, no, I think you should pray for them. Or I think you should let them know that you're a pastor. You know, that you believe in the word of God and that God has great plans. And that God's plan is to prosper them, for them to be in good health. And that he loves them. That he'll look after them and he'll take care of them if they trust in him. Where would I be and where would others be? And is there blood out there that's on me because I didn't do it? Because I didn't share the gospel with them. If only I could be like Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Or I thought of the centurion. Here is a centurion. He's not even an Israelite. This guy's a Roman soldier. He's a man's man. He's a Roman soldier. And if you got your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 8. You know, he doesn't even know about the Hebrew gods. This guy's out there worshiping Zeus, Apollos, and all these other Greek gods, these Roman gods and figures. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. He doesn't know anything about Jehovah. The Hebrews' God. Here's a man who's desperate. Right? He says, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, and in terrible suffering. And it's funny, I'll read from the beginning, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't need, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does that. Or does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Think about that. A centurion. He's not even an Israelite. He's not even a Hebrew. He's not a Jew. But he believed God, and he believed him so much that he said, all you got to do is speak it, Lord, and I'll believe it, and it'll be done. It's amazing. I believe God is telling us it's time 
to tear our idols down that we have put up before him. It's time to walk out in what God is calling us to do. It's time to stop doubting and start believing. Just like the angel of the Lord called Gideon a mighty warrior, even when he was afraid, he thought of himself as the least. That's what Gideon thought of himself as the least of these. And it made me think of our little church. The least of these. Lord, we're the least of these mega churches that are out there with thousands and thousands of people. And it made me think of, God, we are the least. But God used him who's the least. Not only was he the least, his tribe was the least of Manasseh. He was the least of his family. Who else was the least of his family? And he came out to be one of Israel's greatest kings. King David. King David, who was the least of his family, when Samuel came to his father's house, Zebedee's, Zebedee didn't even go send for King David, who was out in the fields watching his flocks, taking care of them. His father didn't even think of his youngest son. Did he? He was the least of his family. Zebedee paraded all of his sons. Oh, this is, this is who it is. He's the oldest. He's the heir to my little kingdom here at this house. He's going to get everything. I expect him to get it all. And, you know, or I'm going to give everything to him. And then he'll take care of the family. You know, and he marched them all through. And, oh, this is such and such. This is so and so. I don't remember all the sons of Zebedee. But he marched them all through there. And that wasn't any of them. And Samuel, God said to Samuel, nope, not that one. Not that one. Not that one. And then he's like, Samuel, surely you have one more son somewhere. Where is this kid? Where are you hiding him? Get him out of the closet. Go get him. Round him up. And then he brought in King David, a ruddy little kid. And he poured out oil, an anointing jar of oil over his head. Because God chose him. God chose him. He was the least of his family. And he turned out to be one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever had. He was a mighty warrior who had mighty men that flocked to be around him. Mighty men that did exploits that are unimaginable. To this day. And even though King David. Had flaws. He had a lot of flaws. Just like Gideon had a lot of flaws. Gideon was afraid. He was unsure. And he was not. He didn't have the full knowledge of God. And just like King David had flaws. He committed sin. He committed many things. But King David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart after God. And when we stand up in front of the throne of God, God is not going to judge us by what's in our mind. He's going to look into our heart. And he's going to look right at your heart. And he's going to see in your heart whether there's good or there's evil. And he's going to judge you on that. He had a heart for God. In all of his imperfections, he still had a heart for God. He still wanted to serve God with his whole heart. And God saw it and he said, a man after his own heart. Don't let your flaws stop us. We cannot let our flaws stop us from doing what God's called us to do. We can't, let our, we can't let our hesitation stop us from stepping out for God. We can't, we got to start doubting and start believing. Our flaws will hold us back. We can't wait till we're perfect. Because I'm going to tell you, none of us are perfect. And none of us will be perfect. 
There was only one that was perfect, and his name was Jesus, and he went to the cross, and he died for all of us. There's only one perfect and spotless lamb that ever walked this earth, and that's not us. I am going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes up here preaching. Hopefully they're far and few between. But it's going to happen. I'm going to make mistakes living my life. I'm going to make mistakes and the wrong choices sometimes. But as long as I have a heart after God and wanting to serve Him, and I'm willing to step out and I don't let those mistakes and those flaws stop me from doing the will of God, then God will lead me as long as I believe and I trust in Him. And that's what I'm saying to you today. Don't let your flaws, don't let your hesitation and your doubts stop you from going out and chasing God with your whole heart and doing what He's called you to do. What you know in your heart that God's called you to do. Amen? Amen. Because God will work with you. And He'll work with your flaws. Just like He worked with Paul when he said, I have a thorn in my flesh. Nobody really knows what that thorn is except for Paul. Nobody really knows what the pain Paul was talking about when he said, I got this thorn in my flesh. Because we still have to deal with the flesh. We're in the fallen world. And there's flesh all around us and all of us have plenty of it. We wear it every day. (laughs) Amen. But God will work with our flaws and he'll work through them. As long as we're chasing after him. And it's our own ignorance that we don't know him because it's our own ignorance that we don't get in his word. And we can't blame anybody else for it. Everybody here knows, guys, has a Bible and can get in the Word of God and can read it. <clears throat> we can't blame anybody else but ourselves. Amen? Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Let's stand up for the blessing and then we'll close with that. Anybody wants prayer, I'll be glad to pray for them. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Whoo! Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the life that's in your word. Lord, I pray that anything, Lord God, that I said today, Lord God, that's of you would stick to our hearts, and anything that's not would fall away. And I pray, Father God, that, Lord, you would bless us and that you would keep us. That, Lord, you would make your face shine upon us and that you would be gracious to us. And, Lord, that you would give us peace on all sides. As we leave here today and this week, that, Lord God, we would hunger and thirst after you and your righteousness. And help us, Lord God, to open our ears so we can hear you. Open our eyes so we can see you. Open our hands, Lord God, that we can give to you and be, Lord God, and feel you. And I just pray this, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.